baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It was a stunning moment in the history of U.S. foreign policy. The 20-year war in Afghanistan ends in chaotic fashion with the Taliban taking over and thousands desperately trying to leave the country. The scenes out of Kabul were jaw-dropping. Some of these people are chasing these planes down the tarmac. They're tying themselves to the wheels of these planes and then falling to their deaths. That's how desperate these people are to get out of there. It's, it's a heartbreaking thing to watch this morning. Afghans, afraid of the return to Taliban rule, swarm the streets of the capital, some desperate to get on flights out of the country. The human toll was enormous. It led to one of the largest refugee resettlements in American history. This week on 880 In-Depth, we bring you the story of Afghan refugees who fled their homeland for a better life in America. A year later, some of them are our neighbors, and many of them are asking, what now? Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Michael Wallace. It's been a year since the U.S. left Afghanistan in a chaotic final chapter that closed the books on America's 20-year war in that country. The withdrawal plan was a product of the Trump administration. Carrying it out would fall to President Biden and his team. While there were concerns about what the Taliban might do to exert its power and influence to fill the void, few could have predicted the swift fall of the Afghan government, with the military barely putting up a fight. It was, in a word, stunning. In a single day, the Taliban not only made it to the gates of the capital, they also made their way in without resistance. The president, who just yesterday vowed to keep fighting, fled the country, and the Afghan government essentially collapsed. Left in the wake of this epic political turnover, tens of thousands of Afghan citizens, who are now in fear for their lives under the new Taliban rule. In those chaotic last days and the weeks and months that followed, the U.S. was able to evacuate some 70,000 Afghans, working to resettle them under a program called Operation Allies Refuge. My name is Sohila Kakar, and I'm from Afghanistan. I'm 29 years old, and I hold a master's degree from Malaysia. And I'm currently living in New Jersey, United States of America. This week on 880 In-Depth, we look at the story of one family's harrowing journey. So Hilla came here with 10 family members, all adults and all women. My whole family members were scared. We didn't have clothes with ourselves because they were not allowing to take clothes. So we only had the one we were wearing and one like we had another um, clothes and one pair of shoes. Like we didn't bring anything with ourselves. For Sohila and her family, life under the Taliban was not an option. She and her sisters had deep connections to the U.S. efforts in Afghanistan. Members of her family worked for agencies like the International Rescue Committee, the U.S. Agency for International Development, the U.N. Food Program, and even the World Health Organization. They had to leave, and the U.S. would end up helping provide a way out. American soldiers who were in contact with my sisters informed us that we have to travel from 
Kabul to Mazar-e-Sharif. Mazar-e-Sharif is a province that's like um, 11 hours away from Kabul where we were staying for 23 days. So we traveled from there and we were like so scared. It took over a month, many days of travel over rough Afghan countryside, some nights without sleep, and some days without food. But the group finally made it out to the nation of Qatar. Weeks later, they arrived in Philadelphia. Today, they are the humanitarian parolees, a legal term used to describe their status, which will hopefully lead to a path to citizenship. So Hila Kakar told her story to our Rabia Gersoy. First, when we arrived, so they transferred us to a Fordex camp, which is in New Jersey, and we stayed there for around four months. It was because we have big families, and it's um, difficult to have a home for 10 family members together in America. So we lived there for four months, and then we were transferred to the place we are living in New Jersey. Now, which is like Englewood Cliffs. For the Kakar family, the hopes of starting a new life in America began in a resettling camp at Fort Dix in New Jersey with thousands of other Afghan refugees. The Office of Refugee Resettlement offered them cash assistance, food, and English language training. But for someone who is now set to stay in the U.S. for two years, it wasn't enough. The family now needed new careers, transportation, and housing while adjusting to a new country. Even though when we came here at the first day, like everything was so obscure. We didn't know where to go. The Uber took us to a wrong place and we were like lost. And um, the case manager was not able, uh, we were not able to contact him. And we didn't know what the next would be. Like we didn't know everything was like unknown. So... There was like, I feel that shouldn't have happened because we were new here. We don't know about the place. We don't know about the culture. So we somehow like suffer, but still that was okay for us because we knew um, like the language. So we we took ourselves from uh, out of that condition. But like it was a difficult time for us. And also... Um, the education we have is not like uh, acceptable here. We have to go through a lot of stuff again. So there are some stuff that make us um, make our minds busy to think of. Like I have been in um, America, like out of the camp since February, and like it's been six months uh, till. I don't have any health insurance and usually I have um, pain in my teeth. Uh, so like I have a teeth problem since I was in Qatar, it started like pain and cavity. So like we don't have, the main thing is that I don't have insurance and that's another problem that I think that could be easily fulfilled. A couple of months later, a family friend offered the use of a house, and the Kakars were able to move to New Jersey. Among the family of 10, only four were able to find jobs, 
including Sohila, who works part-time as an activity assistant at Sisters of St. Joseph's. We don't have a secure job, and we wouldn't be able to... I, I believe that, that we wouldn't be able to afford the rents, and like they will support us for more one month, like six months they are going to support. And we have part-time job with a small salaries. I don't think so we will, we will be able to if if they could prolong the period still like we are uh, in good condition because uh, all of us have salaries but those who does not have anything and who most of our like Afghan are uh, illiterate like they don't have education they don't they cannot speak even English and whenever they go to hospital so they ask uh, and they call my family members to talk to um, and the doctor and talk about their condition, what the problem is. Like most of our people cannot speak English, so... The influx has overwhelmed the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, leading to a longer wait period for many Afghans. All of this is complicated by refugees fleeing Ukraine this year as well. Resettlement agencies were not ready for the flood of new applications submitted. So smaller grassroots groups, such as the Afghan Circle of Hudson Valley, stepped up to help. Last August in 2021, uh, the United States had that very chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan, which resulted in about 80,000 Afghans uh, trying to escape from the Taliban and come to America in a couple of weeks. Uh, the United States government was in no way ready to handle that tidal wave of evacuees, uh, partially because the previous administration completely dismantled and defunded the immigration organizations that would normally help uh, any kind of refugees. So what happened is um, many of the refugees, 50,000 of these 80,000 or so, were put onto military bases. And uh, the ones that were put on the military bases, they were granted what's called humanitarian parole status from our government. That's Harv Hillowitz, founder of a group called the Afghan Circle of the Hudson Valley. They are local volunteers who join forces to welcome Afghan refugees to their mid-Hudson communities and to help them resettle. Despite their best efforts and good intentions, the reality on the ground is the system is simply not equipped to handle it all yet. Anybody with humanitarian parole status from our government automatically would get um, working papers, a social security card, uh, entry to Medicaid, and other benefits. They'd also get a one-time monetary benefit. From the military bases, they would get paired with families uh, and with um, immigration uh, institutional organizations such as HIAS, which is H-I-A-S, Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, and um, the CWS Church World Services is another one. Uh, the uh, International Rescue Committee is another one. So these very large organizations would be able to take in these uh, Afghan refugees. But because of the massive tidal wave of refugees coming in in a short period, these uh, immigration institutional organizations were completely overwhelmed. 
in October of last year, the Biden administration kind of figured that out. And what they did was they started a program of um, sponsor circle groups, which are volunteer organizations, neighborhood organizations, grassroots organizations to basically take in one Afghan family at a time once these circle groups like mine uh, were trained and vetted. And then uh, these, uh, the organizations uh, like HIAS and Church World Service and others would pair uh, individual Afghan families with circles like ours. And then from then on, circles and uh, all these other um, grassroots groups would basically be taking in these families one at a time and welcoming them, resettling them, and integrating them into their neighborhoods. The families that we took in, my circle, uh, didn't have the benefit of going to a uh, military base. So we, we got them directly from California where they were stranded. And right now there are probably four to 5,000 other Afghans uh, who are stranded across the country who do not have humanitarian parole status, but they have a status called port parole, which gives them nothing, no benefits, no circle, no funding, no paperwork, no anything. So it's up to uh, groups and circles like mine to try to fulfill the promise uh, on the uh, pedestal of the Statue of Liberty and uh, help them out individually one family at a time. The way we've been doing that is basically to raise money. Uh, our circle raises money like all these circles and groups. So we have to raise X amount of money so that we can get housing for them, food, clothing, medical care, purchase vehicles, et cetera, et cetera, without any help from the government whatsoever. So the uh, the system is very complicated to those who are not on the inside like we are, uh, but uh, but it is doable. And we've been helping our families along uh, very nicely since they got here in uh, in March and April. New Jersey Congressman Tom Malinowski has been an advocate for these Afghan refugees. Malinowski worked in the Obama administration as an assistant secretary of state dealing with democracy and human rights. He's now pushing for something called the Afghan Adjustment Act, a bill that would help smooth the path to citizenship for many of these Afghan refugees. We're now uh, working uh, as a country on, on helping these folks uh, resettle permanently in the United States to, um, to, to have jobs and go back to school if, uh, if they were in school there and to uh, get a legal status in the United States that would enable to have them enable them to have security. The most important thing that we need to do right now is to pass a bill called the Afghan Adjustment Act. Um, most uh, of the Afghans who were allowed to come to America after the fall of the former government uh, there uh, were admitted to our country under something called humanitarian parole. Um, Humanitarian parole is a very easy way to get someone into the United States, but it only lasts for two years. Uh, and um, it, 
and it does not necessarily confer um, the 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 permanent right to stay and work and live and, and study in in this country that these Afghans need because they're not going back to Afghanistan under the Taliban. So we are working on legislation now in uh, the Congress that would um, basically transition these Afghans with parole to a pathway to permanent lawful residence and ultimately citizenship in the United States. Um, and this has bipartisan support, but uh, we're gonna have to uh, work hard to get it done in, in this Congress. Job insecurity and lack of status are the two main concerns for the Kakar family. Their current solution seems to be applying for asylum. But the problem with that is a backlog surpassing 1.8 million cases, according to the online resource Track Immigration. The humanitarian parole we have will expire on 28 of October 2023. And we are like not secure our 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 nothing is like secure we are scared we will live here for two years and will they send us back but we are looking forward to hear good news about afghan adjustment act like if they pass the congress pass the the act the law so through that, we can have permanent residency, or they can have. We can stay here for a long time, and we are looking forward to hear something positive about that. Yet we haven't decided, and we cannot afford um, afford a lawyer, and like everyone is busy in the uh, resettlement cases. I think pro bono. Lawyers are not available these days, so yet we haven't applied, but we are searching for a lawyer to take our asylum case. It's because in Afghanistan, it's been like 40 years um, of war, and no one is secure. My father said that all my um, um, adulthood was like destroyed while while he was around 20 the war started and it's still there he's a he he our people are not educated who wants to go back there who where your life is in threat they don't help they don't like promote women education even though a sixth grade is not like supported by the taliban who want to go back who who, who want their lives to be at risk. Many Afghans lack the resources to apply for asylum. It's very costly. Malinowski hopes that Afghans won't need to go through the asylum system, which could take up to six years of waiting. The Afghans who are admitted under humanitarian parole normally would have to take steps on their own to adjust their status to something permanent. So they could apply for asylum. The problem is that our asylum system is almost broken uh, in the United States right now. So many, uh, so many people uh, trying to come here, whether from Afghanistan or Ukraine or across the southern border. And during the Trump administration, the uh, the, the system was deprioritized and defunded. So uh, it probably be very difficult for 
more than 70,000 Afghans to, um, to transition to through asylum in the two years, now less than two years that they have. Um, so the Afghan Adjustment Act would basically just do it for them. We for sure want to stay here and be safe and feel that, yes, we are human and we have right to live and we have right to have education. We have right to be in a place where there is peace and we can at least feel that, yes, we are alive. And who want to go to a place where each and every minute you feel that, yeah, this is my time. I'm going to, they're going to end my life. They're going to end my family's life. We are girls and uh, we are more like prone to the, um, to, um, to forceful marriages, to many other conditions. No one want to be in, in, in that state that is like, People here in America cannot even imagine. I'm being so emotional, sorry about that, but like it's so painful to be there. I'm I'm just sometimes so worried about those whom I know and they're staying there, even they're well educated, even they have their master degree, but still they are not working and um staying at home doing nothing. A year since Afghans have resettled in the U.S., they are still unsure of how to settle into their new lives. They don't feel a sense of belonging. The next question is, what do you miss the most about Afghanistan? Mm -hmm. Most probably, I miss the community. I miss like some of my relatives. I miss my language. I miss the place I used to work. And everything, like, so in short terms, I can say I miss the community a lot. And do you hope to be able to go back someday? If it's, uh, the condition is same, uh, I would say no, I never want to go back. But one day, if there is peace and no war, for sure I would love to go and support my countrymate and provide some education and my experience, uh, share my experience with others. What I have learned through this, uh, through my lifetime and serve them because it's my country, serve my country for sure. I would love to um, go and help if I can by any chance and the condition is good. This episode of 880 In-Depth was reported, written, and produced by Rabia Gersoy. The executive producers of 880 In-Depth are Tim Scheld and Peter Haskell. I'm Michael Wallace. Thank you for listening. Baseball 
is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 